Welcome to the Healthcare Policy Podcast. I'm the host, David Intracasso. Today's topic is family caregivers, what they contribute and how their efforts can better be supported. With me to discuss the topic is Ms. Suzanne Mintz, the co-founder of the Caregiver Action Network. Welcome, Suzanne. Thank you. Before I introduce Suzanne, let me provide some background. According to statistics compiled by the Family Caregivers Alliance, family caregivers constitute the largest source of long-term care services in the U.S. They are nearly 30% of the Delta population, or 66 million Americans. They are literally the backbone of the health care delivery service, or health care delivery services. Family caregivers are more likely to be women, 66%, over 50, although the mean is age 48 spending approximately 20 hours per week, uh, or over 30 hours of caregiving for those over the age 65, providing care for, on average, four and a half years. A third of these caregivers take care of two or more people. Most recipients, 58%, receive their care in their own home. Caregivers half work full-time for their caregiving, incur lost wages, promotions, health insurance, retirement savings, and also frequently suffer deleterious physical and mental health effects. The AARP has estimated the value of their services in 2009 was approximately $450 billion, which is an amount in excess of Walmart's annual sales. Despite all this, nearly 80% of caregivers report needing more help and information with at least 14 specific topics related to their caregiving. Now let me introduce Ms. Mintz. Ms. Suzanne Mintz is the co-founder of the Nonprofit Caregiver Action Network, formerly the National Family Caregivers Association, an organization that provides both support for caregivers and advocates for legislative reform and other policy changes. Currently, Ms. Mintz also serves on the board of National Patient Safety Foundation, the Advisory Council of the National Transitions of Care Coalitions, and the Advisory Board of the Partnership to Fight Chronic Disease. She was honored for her work in 2006 as one of the first 15 winners of the Purpose Prize. She has written several books. The latest is A Family Caregiver Speaks Up. It doesn't have to be this hard. And has published numerous articles on and for camp family caregivers. She holds a BA from City University of New York and an MS in Human Ecology. Maybe we can have time to get in that. From the University of Maryland. With all that, let me begin. How would you further describe, uh, Suzanne, the work of family caregivers, and specifically since I did not mention, what caregiving services do they actually provide? Caregivers, um, as you had mentioned, are the long-term care infrastructure of this country, and so, um, you know, have been very much in the shadows for for years and years. Um, But now... Caregiving has become a healthcare and social policy issue because people are dying of long-term chronic conditions as opposed to acute infections and things um, as they did in the past. And so caregiving has taken on um, both a new role for caregivers and a different perspective within the, within the community. Um, and family caregivers do everything from helping somebody uh, get dressed, um, doing the shopping and the cooking, things that are considered IADLs and ADLs. 
but then, and activities of daily living, right, and, and instrumental activities of, of daily living. But there was just a study that came out from the United Hospital Fund and um, AARP that looked at what are the medical things that family caregivers do. And again, this was something that people knew happened, but it hadn't been surveyed. And um, they found that a very significant percentage of family caregivers were giving injections, doing um, uh, invasive procedures like, like catheterization. They were dealing with wound care. Um, they were dealing with um, equipment, much of which had not been designed for use in the home by lay people. So family caregivers have, in essence, started doing work that um, traditionally has been done only by the professionals. Um, professionals, of course, who have been trained. Um, and family caregivers tend to learn things on the, on the job. So um, family caregivers are very much a part of the healthcare delivery system um, today. And that's only recently um, being tackled as a, okay, how do we deal with this? A public policy issue, yes. I, I'll mention, and you did before we started, that the Medicare population, per your point, that increasingly we have a chronically ill population and an aging population, but the Medicare population is doubling in this 30-year period to 71 million by 2030. So just Those baby boomers. Yes, okay. So let's go to problems uh, that family caregivers confront. Uh, as I mentioned, there are numerous categories where caregivers would like to receive or seek support. What are some of the problems that caregivers uh, confront, and particularly since you mentioned they're doing more clinical work now? Well, um, there is gobs of research that shows the negative physical and emotional impact of um, being a family caregiver. Now, those impacts are not you know, on somebody who is at the beginning of a journey just helping mom with the groceries or the finances. But the more involved somebody's caregiving is and the longer that they are caregivers, you see much more manifestation of all of this. We have much higher rates of depression than the, um, the rest of the population. Um, spouses are six times as likely to be depressed than um, non-spousal caregivers. I mean, that's huge. Um, there have been studies that show we are more prone to chronic conditions. And a lot of this comes back to the huge amount of stress that is part of caregiving, which, of course, caregiving comes on top of all the other things that we do in, in life. It's not like you drop everything else and you become a family caregiver. It is family caregiving plus working plus kids and and everything else. Um, there have been studies that show that family caregivers age prematurely, uh, can be as much as 10 years. So often when I'm speaking, I'll tell people that I'm really only 45, I just look <laughs> this way. <laughs> um, being a senior citizen myself now, which is a whole other topic, can't get used to that. Um, and there are financial consequences, as you mentioned. We are actually working with the um, MS Society and, and others to look at what the um, possible policy solutions might be to um, help family caregivers financially. 
Okay. That leads into your organization, so let's talk about it for a few minutes. So it's the care again, the Caregiver Action Network. So yes. describe and explain what the work of the network is. Okay, well, we just changed our name in January and launched a new website, a whole new, whole new brand. And um, the purpose of it is to um, promote the fact that what we are trying to do is um, to empower family caregivers to be more engaged um, in their own health, their loved ones, um, their loved ones' health, to stand up for themselves and their and their loved ones. And uh, I mean, our core principles are exactly the same, um, and our goals are the are the same. <clears throat> but the point of the name change. Um, and, and rebranding is to show the real focus on the family caregiver as um, a group that can do a lot, um, and the acronym, of course, is a key part of the of the name change. Can that um, there's a lot that needs to be done. There's a lot that this organization can do. And what we are hoping to do, what we do do, is um, help family caregivers um, take on more of that I can um, profile. So it's beyond assisting them, assisting the recipient of care, it's also helping they themselves. It is primarily helping them themselves. Our um, focus has always been on the family caregiver. we, you know, were the National Family Caregivers Association. So, um, obviously, the person they're caring for is, you know, a key component in all of this. But our focus is on the family caregiver. Okay, let's, if you could, maybe we'll spend a minute or two if if I asked you about some of the programming that the CAN, now the CAN organization has been Mm -hmm. involved. So if you could explain some of that, please. Sure. There are four um, key goals which then create the the program areas. One is to help family caregivers be more resourceful. You know, it's about problem solving. How do you um, meet the the challenges? Um, Because very often you're going to be doing these on your own in the day-to-day course of of life, and then, of course, they're the, the harder part of decisions and um, things, but how do you think creatively and um, figure out how to do things or where to look for answers? And the data shows that caregivers tend to access internet services. Absolutely. Yes. Very much so, and more and more, which is great. Um, another of the goals is a respect for family caregivers. Um which traditionally we have not gotten. And um, so some of it's coming, but it's really on a, almost like a case-by-case basis. We have been uh, working for the past year on an initiative to have family caregivers documented in the medical record, and um, which 
you have to acknowledge somebody first as the first sign of respect, and, um, and having that there is obviously a way to do that. Um, it also provides all kinds of data that can be used um, for research and um, shows the professionals what help this caregiver needs and um, how to, um, you know, in a sense, integrate them into the care team. And we got a big push recently when the um, stage three recommendations came out for meaningful use, which is the meaningful use of um, health information technology. Absolutely. And so the recommendation is that care team members be documented, including family caregivers. So that's definitely a, a step in the in the right direction, and that's an example of what we mean by respecting family caregivers. We um, we strive to help family caregivers become more capable. Um, what are the skills that they need um, to be successful? And I don't mean things like learning how to transfer somebody or the physical things. You know, you can learn those kinds of things from the, from the Red Cross. Um, but what we are trying to do is to give them the underpinnings of um, how do you function within this, this health care world. So um, we have an educational program on communicating effectively with healthcare professionals. We've got um, one about um, preventing medication mishaps. And um, it's all focused from a caregiver's perspective. Um, So uh, caregivers need to know how to make decisions during times of crisis, because certainly they are there, and you may not have somebody else who you can turn to at any given moment. So where is the confidence within yourself? So a lot of the um, kind of information and education that we are putting out there is to, again, help family caregivers be in a much better place to be engaged in um, patient and family engagement activities. Let me, I'll get back to the medical record because that's a, certainly a policy, current policy issue. But let me ask you, I'd be remiss if I didn't, about, I did note that half of caregivers work full-time. And I know, I've read in the literature that there is, a, and getting to the issue of respect. Um, do you do any work as it relates to supporting caregivers um, in the workplace? So, for example, such that their employers understand that mm-hmm. they have a caregiving responsibility. Um, there are definitely initiatives in that um, arena, um, and actually Pfizer led uh, a creation of a group called REACT, um, which is related to family caregiving in the workplace, and we actually gave them an award last year to highlight the work that, um, that they are, are doing in that um, in that. Um, in that field. Um, Such that Pfizer is accommodating their employees who have caregiving responsibilities? Well, uh, Pfizer set up the group, but there are you know many corporations who are a part of the group, okay. all of whom have an interest in supporting family caregivers in the workplace. And um, 
it's obviously a very good thing to do. It's also self-interest because um, family caregivers are expensive for a corporation, but it is more expensive if um, you know people leave the workforce and they have to um, go hire and retrain somebody else. The lack of you know presenteeism or being present but not really being present mm-hmm. is what they refer to as, as presenteeism. And so companies that are looking at this um, and putting together programs to um, enable family caregivers to balance their work and um, family mm-hmm. lives is um, a very, very important um, issue and a very good audience. Um, so we try and get our message out to the employers as, um, as well. And these employees would be more senior employees, as I mentioned, the mean age is 48. Well, actually, well, it's gone up um, in the latest work. It's, I believe, 49 now. Um, And this is the work that um, the National Alliance for Caregiving and AARP have been doing for for years, keep updating Mm -hmm. this this survey data. Um, Most family caregivers are caring for um, a senior. But caregiving is very much a lifespan experience. Children are born with spina bifida. Children are born with CP. Um, a teenager is in a car accident. Um, my husband has multiple sclerosis, which actually is a disease of young adults. Um, it tends to be diagnosed in people's 20s and 30s, and well, even now they're, they're seeing it um, even younger. But Stephen was 31. Um, and so there's this whole group of caregivers who don't have a title, if you will. Um, there are parents of children with special needs. There are children of aging parents. Um, but then there's this group of people who are dealing with adults that, um, in essence, are in the middle. They're not at either piece of the age spectrum. But um, even the administration on aging... Um, now uh, talks about lifespan uh, caregiving um, because we recognize that it's absolutely everywhere. And there's the irony that modern medicine creates caregiving circumstances. Um, Again, people used to die, you know. Then we have penicillin, and, um, you know, it changed changed everything. Cancer as a terminal, um, as a, as a uh, chronic illness. That's right. Yes. It's not a terminal one anymore, and they've done that with AIDS as well. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, people didn't get Alzheimer's years and years ago. They didn't live long enough. I mean, obviously, you can still get it at a younger age, but it is principally a, a, an older person's um, disease. And so through what we've been able to do Medically, we are people are living longer. People are being saved, you know, in ERs in ways they never were before, and that creates caregiving circumstances. But the medical community has just stopped at um, doing the basic fix, if you will, and um, hasn't crossed the bridge to recognize that um, these people whom we are. Um, keeping alive longer um, need a great deal of assistance. 
fact, right, correct, healthcare is still an acute care model, oh, not, yes. not a chronic care model. Right, and, you know, everybody knows this. Um, it is certainly part of um, healthcare reform and what's trying to be put into, into place um, by not, you know, paying for task, as, you, uh, as, uh, as it were. Um, but it's a complicated process. We can train a new generation of you know, doctors and, and nurses, but if when they get out into the real world, um, the folks in charge are still in the old model, they may not get to you know, do what they are now you know, learning a bit more about to, to do. So it's definitely a process. Um, I believe we will get there, but these things take a really, really long time. Far too long, yes. Let's, let's spend a few minutes finally on policy. And we, I did mention previously to you, there is this National Family Caregiver Support Program. Mm-hmm. It was passed by the Congress in 2000. It provides grant monies to states to assist family caregivers such that they can access assistance services, counseling, training, respite care. And I did look at the numbers. They spend approximately in grant monies to the states about $150 million annually. Uh, what's your sense of, of that program? Well, we were thrilled when it passed. Um, and in fact, it was the last um, bill that Bill Clinton signed. Um, and um, the program does a whole lot of good for the people who are able to, to access it. And, um, you know, it has certain parameters in the age of the caregiver, the age of the care recipient, um, and it certainly has financial parameters. Um, and so within that framework, it, works. it is doing good things for, for people. There's no, there's no question. Um, the people who I worry about the most are... The people in the middle. Um, there certainly are not enough public programs for you know people at the at the really low end of the economic scale. Um, but people are in the, who are in the middle may not be able to um, access those because they make too much money, but mm-hmm. they don't make enough money to allow them to purchase goods and services in the, in the marketplace. And so much that caregivers need really is not covered. Um, and so it's these folks in the middle who really have a, a super hard time with it. Money makes a difference. I mean, it obviously makes a difference in lots of things, education and so on and so forth. But um, it makes a fundamental difference in... Um, the quality of life and health that a caregiving family can can have. Okay. There's no, no question. And I've talked about things not being covered. One of the things that family caregivers need more than anything else is um, non-medical home care assistance so that um, there is someone else who um, can provide some of the activities of daily living and things of, of that nature whether it's, you know, full-time for somebody who is, you know, completely dependent or whether it is to support the, the, the caregiver 
for instance, um, Stephen has an attendant who comes uh, over two evenings a week. Um, and he helps Stephen at bedtime and during the night if he needs it, and, and then in the morning for getting up and dressed and breakfast. And that gives me a break. And, um, but that is all out-of-pocket expenses. Medicare does not cover anything at all for those services. And that's most directly probably a function of limitations of home health, the home health care program. Well, right. I mean, what Medicare will pay for in home health are um, what's called medically uh, necessary services. Um, it's usually Physical you know, when therapy, somebody comes therapy. out of, um, of a hospital, they'll send an aide to help with the washing and so on and, and, and so forth. But for ongoing activities, um, it doesn't cover uh, the use of non-professional but paid caregivers. Okay. And that's um, really a painful thing for caregiving families. Okay. You mentioned that the uh, third stage of meaningful use under the health information technology legislation would include in the electronic medical record um, the caregiver, caregiver information. Let's talk about uh, more generally than the Affordable Care Act or provisions relevant to family caregivers in it. And there are numerous indirect references um, that could help or benefit uh, caregivers. But specifically, um, let's mention there is a program um, under the ACA um, that is supposed to uh, fund, uh, to train uh, direct care workers uh, and some training for family caregivers. Uh, could you talk about that? Um, the references for two family caregivers specifically come within the um, CMMI, the Centers for Medicare and Medicaid, Medicaid Innovation. Innovation, where they are implementing programs to try new models of payment, new models of delivery to, um, you know, lessen the problems that come with poor transitions and all this kind of thing. And so there are actually 15 mentions of family caregivers. So um, not a lot, and they're not specifically programs for family caregivers, but the fact that family caregivers are acknowledged is a step in the, in the right in the right direction. Right. So um, we'll see where um, any of that um, goes. Um, the folks at CMMI are you know, aware of, of caregivers. They certainly are at CORI, which is the Patient-Centered Outcomes Research Institute. Institute. Um, and the but everybody's still really trying to get a handle on, okay, well, what is patient and family engagement? It's different things to different people. There's not one set definition at this point. Um, you know, some people see it as um, giving people information so that they could look at various options on how to treat a medical problem. And do you do the surgery or do you do the chemo or, you know, whatever the, whatever the options are. And that indeed is one 
aspect of being engaged in your in your healthcare. Um, a, you know, a broader definition certainly is just being aware of your own health and, and well-being and trying to do things to, to maximize to maximize um, that. And um, and all of that's Im- important, but um, for family caregivers dealing with people with you know multiple chronic conditions, um, and some of those conditions are mental emotional, um, as opposed to or in addition to physical to physical, which makes it all that much harder. But having the providers recognize the role of family caregivers. Um, as um, untrained members of the team who have other responsibilities as well um, will go a long way, um, I think, towards um, helping individual situations. So the CMMI and the Bacori provisions in the Affordable Care Act, suffice to say, it's TBD, to be determined how well they address the caregiver challenges. I think we have time for one last question, and let me pose it as, what would your final general advice be to a family caregiver? Um, I think there are a couple of things that, I mean, it seems so odd given the numbers, but many caregivers think they're all alone, that they're the only ones dealing with this. They're the only ones thinking these dark thoughts that they think. And the message is, if you're thinking something, trust me, there are millions of others thinking and feeling it as well, that family caregivers are not alone, alone. which, of course, is the importance of them to reach out to you know, organizations like us, you know, the website caregiveraction.org, um, to connect with other family caregivers. You know, when in circumstances that are really outside the norm, um, the knowledge and support you can get from others who have walked in your shoes is um, extremely, extremely valuable and extremely, extremely important. So recognizing you're not alone is absolutely critical. And also reaching out for help. Caregiving is more than a one-person job. Um, you know, we have this uh, great image of always trying to be independent. Independent is one thing. Um, sharing responsibility or delegating tasks is is quite a is quite another, and um, so it really is important to um, to get help, whether it is um, help from family who can look things up on the internet for you, or help with the financing. You know, if you're the person who's the primary caregiver. Um, whether it's having a network of um, neighbors and friends who are available to to help, um, whether it's reaching out and asking questions and being engaged is uh, another kind of help. But it may have four letters, but help is not a dirty word. Okay, thank you. And we're at our time boundary, so with that I'll say, Suzanne, thank you very much for your time today. David, thank you so much.